Dear listeners, welcome back to the part two of our discussion on data science and big data for evaluation. Joining us again uh, for the continuing their enlightening discussion are Michael, Peter, and Veronica. And uh, today's discussion will be led uh, by our host, Alina, and joined by Tom as well. Alina, over to you. Thank you, Val. Veronica, Peter, and Michael, Thank you so much uh, for sharing your thoughts uh, on data science and evaluation. It's such a pleasure to have you here. During the first part of our conversation, we spoke about three main points, um, differences between data scientists and evaluators, the reasons why they need to cooperate and how it can be done better. Uh, in the first point, uh, we mentioned tension-filled differences in their philosophical approaches and values which underline um, data gathering approaches, and also the different types of uh, evaluators and data scientists based on their training, on their education. We also uh, highlighted uh, the need to cooperate uh, due to the fact that um, data science help uh, access hard to reach areas. It helped reduce uh, the cost of evaluations and also uh, conduct multidimensional evaluations. Uh, we also uh, discussed how uh, it could be done better. And uh, let's include uh, gathering together during the design stage of evaluations, clarifying the expectations and amplifying the toolbox of evaluators. Today, during the second part of the conversation, I would like to touch yet another tension field subject, contribution, attribution and analysis. I know that each of you uh, have a plethora of knowledge to share on this subject, on contribution, causality, and attribution. And I invite you to share your perspectives. Who would like to start? Happy to, to, to take a, a first crack at this, a short crack at this, so that I think it'll get the conversation going. I'm gonna make a bold statement. Thank you, Vita. Um, I'm gonna make a statement in the way of something I heard. So um, having been an evaluator who's traveled in two, two networks, right? I do a lot of work in the do good data kind of world where data science is coming together through things like hackathons and other stuff where you're taking big data and trying to solve social problems. Um, so I've, I've traveled in that space and I've traveled in the AEA, the American evaluation, I'm, I'm US based, but the broader evaluation community and network. Um, I'll share a, a, a story that I had when I was in the data science world in that network. Uh, and I said to them, you know, are, are you at all concerned that a lot of the biases that are in data, um, both in terms of some of the social biases, uh, but also in terms of the biases we have, this correlation causation bias, you know, that what you're predicting is grounded in information that um, may be perpetuating biases or may create inequities by virtue of, you know, just um, not caring about the difference between causality and correlation. And I'll quote this uh, uh, speaker who was on a number of speakers and so is an expert at that con con uh, conference who said to me, and I quote, um, nobody cares about causality. Um, so this is the kind of story that you hear. Now, I don't, I don't believe that all data scientists perceive that. I really don't. And I also don't believe that this person wasn't also believing the fundamental good that could be done through data science. So take the heart out of the intention and all of that. I think we're all in the same place we need to meet there. 
But I think this is a real big concern. And I think one of the reasons why validity and uh, rigor needs to be in the modeling methodology and the evaluators need to learn the tools of, of machine learning and Bayesian analytics so they guide and frame this work in collaboration with data scientists is so key. And I believe that the causal modeling and the principles of it, given we aren't talking about randomized control trials in this context, we're talking about use of big data, where you're finding natural experiments in history, controlling for variables you can. It's analogous to the observational data world of medicine uh, that has been around for you know hundreds of thousands of studies now that have used that data through other techniques to, to try to get to attribution at least. Um, that kind of work is really what should be the the foundation. Um, and I mentioned it on the webinar before, and I'll mention it here. There is a great resource in the data science world. Judea Pearl, um, who's at UC Berkeley, I be believe right now, wrote the book uh, called uh, The Book of Why. Um, and it's really a book that talks about how the data science world needs to adapt uh, the importance of counterfactuals and all the work that we're doing. So that was a long-winded way of saying that I will provoke the conversation a little bit here and say, I really have concerns that the data science world has not uh, put validity first. And I think that the role of the evaluation community, once we get educated about these tools and approaches, I think, and this is my bias, needs to be in the driver's seat on this. Um, I, I think what, one, one important point from the, the, the view of an evaluator is a lot of the discussions on how you think about causality extremely narrow, focusing on, on, on quantitative methods, experimental designs, and th th this is a, a very useful first step. But one, one of the things which tends not to get addressed at all is the multidimensionality of thinking about causality. And um, if, if you ask somebody in the community, what were the outcomes of a program, you will get a very different response than if you ask the World Bank who was funding the program. So this is something which tends not to come into a, a lot of the discussions driven by data science about how you can do more rigorous quantitative analysis, which is a very valuable first step. But I, I think we need to be moving beyond that to thinking about mixed method approaches of just getting different perspectives to try to, to, to validate your your, your, your data. So th this is an, an, the whole area of, of, of values, you know, who, who decides what should be the outcomes you're measuring, wh whether they've been achieved. So this is something which will hopefully be, be um, coming along. The other area which almost nobody talks about now is if you're doing an impact evaluation, you need to focus much more on the evaluand what it is that's being evaluated, because an implicit assumption of a great deal of the, of the quantitative work is that everybody is receiving the program in exactly the same way. And what you're just trying to do is to assess what it's achieved. But if you get down onto the ground, you find that many programs are just not being implemented at all in the way which you would think they were if you look at the, the reports and the, the quantitative data. There's, I was working on a program in Bangladesh, which I called the ghost schools. There were many schools <coughs> for promoting <coughs> uh, secondary education for girls, which were receiving um, funding for each of the girls in the school. The school didn't even exist, literally. It was just built 
for when the, the inspectors from the donor agencies came, but all of the evaluations were assuming that everybody was receiving the, exactly the same um, inputs. So, um, <clears throat> so the two points, we, we need to focus more on a broader range of, of tools and, and focuses, and we need to understand much better what it is we're actually evaluating and, and whether it is actually operating in the way which we, which we think. And the one final point I'd just like to bring in from the previous discussion of areas of, of, of exciting for collaboration for moving ahead. The first one I think is, is, is ground truthing, that a, a lot of data scientists are aware that there are things which they're just not capturing when you do your, your satellite analysis there are a lot of things going on the ground which you, you just don't know about. So I think this idea of mixed methods and ground truthing is one of the big areas where, which is beginning to attract the data scientists. On, on the other side, I think one of the critical areas which is of great interest to evaluation, as Pete was mentioning, is, is prediction. One of the big criticisms of evaluation is it's, it's backward looking you're explaining what happened with the program which started five years ago, the world's completely changed now, but you're saying, if we went back to a world which no longer exists, this is how the program would operate. So evaluators are under a lot of pressure now to begin to make um, contributions to improving the management and performance of on ongoing programs. And this is the area which the kind of predictive analytics which Pete was talking about can be very useful. So those are, I think, just two, two promising areas um, the ground truthing and how you can help evaluation to become a more dynamic management tool by using some of these predictive methods. Okay, now I would like to invite Veronica. Veronica, would you like to comment? Sure. Um, so picking up on a couple of topics um, and also building on the earlier conversation around um, the relationship, the dance, as Tom characterized it. Um, I think that as an evaluator, when we get into conversations around attribution and contribution, um, I do think that just like with all the tools uh, in our evaluation toolkits, uh, and as Pete mentioned, uh, you know, one tool that, and it might not be a tool, it just, you know, might just be a point of view, but um, is to get really clear on what we mean when we say data science. Um, and uh, we see, we tend to generalize the conversation, well, we as evaluators love the conversation around attribution and contribution and causality, for example. Um, and, you know, depending on where you are on that spectrum, uh, you, you might be a quant person and you might be a qual person and you might be an in the middle person. Um, so, uh, so when we start to talk about data science, yeah, we, uh, you know, paint a pretty broad brush around what it is, but, you know, are we talking about machine learning? Are we talking about artificial intelligence? Are we talking about a GIS and spatial analysis or text analytics? Um, and so the attribution and contribution conversation gets conflated with what we believe data science is for us. So I would start with get clarity around what we mean when we say data science. Sometimes we say big data, for example. Um, number two, I do think that there is, uh, that data science as defined as um, an analytical tool and big data as defined as a kind of data can be really helpful in thinking for us increasing the rigor um, around our aspirations around, uh, um, around attribution and causality. 
Uh, and so, you know, um, it increases the amount of data that we have available to us. It increases our perspectives. Um, you talked, uh, you, Alina and Michael talked about the multidimensionality. I said, I, we tend to talk about, you know, wanting to know something about the enabling systems that are confounding upon an issue area that we as evaluators are looking at. Um, we believe, and we're proved, we're trying to prove that being able to leverage geographical information uh, and spatial analysis and administrative data that Pete talks about often can start to fill the picture that has often been um, missing and has often been uh, um, uh, uh, kind of um, positioned as a hypothesis that we have to prove. Um, and so I think it allows it from a technical analytical perspective and then also from an access to more types of data to round out the story, it does allow for us to get a little bit more comfortable with the attribution conversation. Um, I also think that uh, in uh, we tend uh, we've been talking a lot about um, uh, data science, the applicability within what we in the international evaluation space um, see as you know field ground truthing um, about people and communities in emerging markets in the global south. Um, we oft, we, but one of the, I think most promising area is thinking about the area around influence and policy change. Uh, and, and that, uh, from that perspective, digital media, uh, thinking about uh, prediction um, around behaviors, you know, even thinking about, you know, what types of social marketing types of tools can enable a particular type of behavior. Like these kinds of questions have taken, I think, a, diff, uh, a different turn uh, in the, um, with data science. And so with data scientists, you have access to all, well, you don't have access, you have to go get the access. Um, but if you have access to all kinds of human behavior um, types of activities because of clicks, for example, or because of, of the ability to access mobile data, uh, for example, and you can do things like A-B testing, I think that uh, I think that that conceptually for an, a data scientist checks off the box around the causality and the attribution conversation. We tend to think of it as evaluators as unidimensional for sure. Um, and so, if you can imagine, you know, uh, and we don't have control of the data scientists. We have Pete and Pete's access, and we can talk a little bit about how to become more engaged in that. But what we do have control over, or influence over, is what evaluators can do in order to be able to leverage these tools, as uh, Pete mentioned. And I think that um, rather than think about a perfect world where, I'll say something controversial too, where we're coming together and living happily ever after um, to try to solve social problems, which you know is definitely an aspiration, I think uh, it would probably be more feasible for evaluators to learn those skill sets and then apply them um, because as more and more questions around the what and the how and the why um, get asked along a decision-making life cycle, a data science is very limited because it's an analytical like, toolbox. And data scientists are building their capabilities. We're investing a whole lot in making sure that we have more data science of color, making sure that we're investing, we as in the Rockefeller Foundation, investing in the data governance and the infrastructure, because there's a lack of infrastructure that would enable this like utopic relationship to really play itself out. Um, and, uh, and that might not happen for years to come. In the meanwhile, we have an evaluation infrastructure. We have an evaluation network. 
Uh, and really, just as evaluators do, we learn really quick about a particular area. And while we don't need to be subject matter experts, um, and we can all aspire to be like Pete, uh, we, we do need a basic level of understanding to be able to leverage the tools, as I mentioned, and to be able to actually evaluate the efficacy of big data and data science projects, which we don't spend a lot of time talking about, but that is where we can flex our super muscles um, that are much more evaluative. So what I would say is this, is that um, uh, one of the things that's exciting that I think is really important when, I talk, when we talk about the toolbox, the pieces that both Michael and Veronica were speaking to, uh, complexity uh, in part speaking to, uh, complexity, uh, mixed methods, the predictive analytics, um, the toolbox in the data science world is, is so much more flexible. Uh, I've never, in my opinion, having been a mixed methods evaluator, uh, qual and quant, the limitations of the statistical training we've received and how you have to manipulate data even to get the quant to work, the combination of the qual and the siloing of these two in our space of evaluation, it is amazing the toolbox that is in the data science toolbox when it comes to text analytics, NLP categories. It, 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 so don't think of data science as quant, it's not quant. As a matter of fact, most of data science is not quant. Um, and so from that standpoint, the ability for data science and the toolbox to be applied to the evaluation field, I can't emphasize enough how much that toolbox has just expanded in ways that we can finally really operationally idea, ideas of mixed methods. It's all in there. You can put all the same thing in one model. You can't do it in our old training. Statistical modeling really requires a lot of manipulation to get the data to comply uh, or you break rules. Machine learning is so much more uh, flexible. Um, the other piece of this is that, that we're all hitting on is it's, it's, it's don't, not the predictive piece that is so key, but prescriptive. The prescriptive analytics, figuring out what works for whom, different disaggregated segments of a population, and the ability for data science toolbox to do that is just uh, also light years ahead in terms of being able to really understand complexity, how it affects different populations, especially as you get bigger data. So some of these tools I just think are really important for everybody to understand. And if we're going to have a conversation, don't put data science in the camp of quant. It's actually not. Majority of the work is actually in text analytics. Um, structured data, a lot of the toolbox has already been built. So the data scientists, are, a lot of those tools are there. Um, and obviously stats don't go out the window, but it's really important to think through all of this as we start to think about the implications. And that's what's been exciting from my perspective of working with the tools of data science for 10 years and just seeing how they have grown and become easier to use and less costly to use. This has been a very exciting discussion. I think one of the next steps is to um, develop a series of, of pilot projects where um, support is found to bring together um, data scientists and evaluators to address projects which were issues which were previously only addressed by one or the other, and to invest some time in getting to understand each other's approaches, and then conduct the evaluation and do a rigorous assessment of the, the value added. Um, it may be that you can bring the two, two approaches together, but was it worthwhile doing it? Um, what were the 
the, the, the benefits? Did you get new kinds of understanding? What were the costs? Um, not, not just the monetary cost, but one of the big um, costs for an organization is it's quite disruptive to bring in new ways of, of, of conducting e evaluations in, in this case. So um, maybe there's a very big cost that you're creating a lot of extra work for very busy people who have to go and put together new kinds of, of data. So I, I think a series of, of very carefully planned pilot projects where, where you invest a lot of time in bringing the two teams together to get to understand what it is that each can contribute and then do, do this in, in a number of key areas and then sit down and think, you know, what, what have we learned? Where is there a big benefit from coming together? Where is it feasible, but it, it isn't clear that it's um, you know, re really producing very much? What are the areas where people felt that it was you know, really not worthwhile doing? And because at the moment we have all of these very general statements about the things you could do or you couldn't do or what would be the challenges, but there's still relatively few specific examples where people have rigorously brought the two sides together. So I think that will be a next, a, a next stage. But please, if you do that, don't use the typical situation where the two teams come together one day before the, the research begins um, and they really don't understand each other's approaches and they continue to work in somewhat parallel. So you really need to be prepared to invest time in preparatory meetings, discussions, so that people get to understand and to respect each other's approaches. But I think if we do that, we will then have a, a very solid basis of examples to sit down and think, you know, what really are the useful things? What are the new areas which need to be added to make it more useful? So I think that's that's one of the next steps we might be thinking about. Thank you. Um, so to wrap up, um, I'm thinking, um, you know, three things. Uh, from a policy perspective, uh, and to Michael, building on Michael's points um, earlier, uh, I do think that there's a level of change management that has to happen um, at, you know, at, a, at an institutional level, at a field level. Uh, and I don't think that there's guidance. Like this, this work has to be designed, orchestrated, so to speak. Uh, and so it would be really great um, to then do uh, a, a learning uh, type of exercise around these pilots if these hypothetical pilots were to be. Uh, because I do think that there's a lot to be learned about how um, these two areas converge together. Uh, the second piece is on the practice. And on the practice, um, just to emphasize Pete's point, you know, our evaluators training doesn't prepare us to engage, not just, we could put data science aside, but in this digital world, where there's just so much data available. Um, and, uh, and we are not necessarily, we're, we're used to working with one particular type of data. And so in this new world, being able to up our game, so to speak, by you know, doing things like learning R or Python, um, I think would be really helpful from the practice perspective on the evaluation side. And then finally, in the people perspective, um, so we get policy, practice, and people. Um, I do think that uh, you know it's important to get to to be where these conversations are. If this is an area that's interesting to you, you should be thinking about attending uh, conversations where the conversation is happening. On the evaluation side, I would say some conversations happen at uh, something called Moral Tech that some of you have been. Um, exposed to over time. Uh, most recently, there was a, a, a data visualization because there's a data visualization component to data science. 
um, called Outlier, which was excellent um, last month. Uh, in addition to that, there's MozFest. Um, if you've never been there, that might be a place that you might want to check out, you know, how data scientists are thinking about digital for social good or data for social good um, or good tech fest. Like there are these, these places that uh, people convene and there are loan evaluators out there. And so um, I would think you would wanna know the people. I would think you would wanna know some of something about what they're valuing. And I also think that um, if, you know, low hanging fruit, there are several evaluations that have been done in terms of evaluating a portfolio or um, evaluating how um, to let, uh, use, use data science to be able to enhance evaluation results um, and recommendations. UN Women conducted uh, an evaluation um, around this as well as the UN Global Pulse's two specific examples. So thank you. So thank you very much to uh, three of you. Uh, very interesting suggestions. And uh, yes, uh, Veronica, you're right. We uh, cooperated with Merle Tech. And actually, the next webinar that uh, AX conducted on the subject of uh, emerging dental, data landscapes and m and &E will be on getting practical with artificial intelligence. So I also invite all our viewers um, to follow EAS and to join this webinar. Val, back to you. Thank you, dear listeners, uh, for listening to an exciting uh, episode again from your favorite Eval Edge podcast. And I especially thank our today's discussants, Pete York, Michael Bamberger, and Veronica, and our excellent hosts, Elena and Tom. We look forward to having you with us again soon in one of our exciting episodes in the future. Thank you. <laughs>